Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone again this morning. We are in Genesis chapter 21 this morning, Genesis 21, and we will read the first 21 verses here in a second. But as we start, I wonder if you are familiar with the process to start up a business or a company. Sometimes you hear these stories about people who have made it, who have become successful, they start a business, whether it's a big tech company or a small kind of, you know, the air conditioning company in town. Either way, usually you have this similar kind of story, right? These people commit to going in this direction. They commit all their time, their resources to start this business because usually you can't put just one foot in and keep one foot out. You can't uh, hedge your bets, so to speak, when you're starting a business. Usually the stories you hear, the people who make it, they, they have to fully commit and sometimes there are chances they have to take in that, right? And sometimes, probably for as many of the people that make it, there are businesses that don't make it, but the same thing exists is uh, in order for that to happen, it takes that full commitment. And we're reminded that here on earth that we have no guarantee that things will work out, that it will always turn out like we planned, which is why sometimes we're hesitant to have that full commitment to things because we're not sure. We're just not sure. Things might happen, hurricanes might hit, and things might not go like we planned. But when it comes to this morning, we see a passage this morning where Abraham fully commits to God and God's plan. And so when we think about committing to God, the equation is different. We don't have to be concerned about whether things will work out or won't work out. We still have those, those hesitancies to fully commit, to fully detach ourselves from things here on earth, so to speak, and fully commit to God. But we see in this passage this morning that God is fully faithful and he will always come through on his plan and promises and we can fully commit to him. And that's what faith is. It's fully committing to God. And so if you would, if you have a Bible, read with me this morning. Genesis 21 verses 1 through 21. Genesis 1, 21, 1 through 21. And the word of the Lord says this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, 
Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him in a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. May God give us eyes to see the wonderful truth from his word this morning. So as we look at this passage, as we think about kind of a roadmap for where we're headed this morning, we see it really is broken up into three sections, verses 1 through 7, 8 through 13, and 14, 15 through 21. And then we see in those sections that God has a plan. He fulfills his plans and promises. He gives his plan, and then Abraham fully commits to his plan in the second section. And then we see a contrast with Hagar's response to God's plan in the last section. And that's kind of the, the path we'll follow this morning as we look at it. So first, in these first verses, verses 1 through 7, we see that God's promise is fulfilled, his plan in the birth of Isaac. So here it is. This is what we've been waiting for Ever since Abraham stepped on the scene back in chapter 12, we see the birth of Isaac. This was promised. He had been waiting for 25 years on this. And just look at the phrases of how this is talked about in the first few verses. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had said. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken. And so throughout this, we see that this is meaning us to, to see that this is God fulfilling his promise. This is God stepping in and doing something that no one else could do. The emphasis is on what God is doing, right? From the beginning, God had said, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. And we've seen the life of Abraham. We've seen how clearly that's the case because Abraham is inconsistent, right, in his faithfulness to God. Sometimes he shows these great moments of faith, and sometimes he forgets God or even lies and for, turns away from following God in moments, right? But here we see that the reason God's promise comes to pass is not because of Abraham's faithfulness. It's because of God's faithfulness. God is keeping his promise, even in the midst of someone who doesn't always follow him, doesn't always obey, who sometimes falls into sin. God is still faithful 
and gives grace in those moments and keeps his promise. And so here, 25 years later, God finally keeps his promise and Isaac is born. And so it really teaches us, well, it teaches us about patience, right? The plan of God, 25 years. It takes a long time sometimes. It takes a long time to wait, but this teaches us about patience in waiting on the Lord. But it also teaches us about hope, hope in the promises that God brings. Think about how Abraham and Sarah feel. We read some about it, and we think about how they had joy in experiencing this promise, laughter, this joy at this child. And we think about what it'll be like for us when we receive the promises, when we fully receive the promises of God. Think about what it's going to be like in the future. What will it be like when we are in the presence of God, when all the promises are fulfilled, when everything is made right? What will that be like? Will it have been worth the wait? Will everything we've gone through while we're waiting have been worth it in that moment? And as we see just this rejoicing that Sarah and Abraham have at the birth of the child, we we get that little glimpse. We think, yes, even more so when the fullness of God's promises are fulfilled, we'll have even more joy, more fullness of rest and peace in the presence of God. And as Sarah and Abraham are rejoicing, they're feasting, they're celebrating what God has done, something else happens in the midst of that, right? We read in, as we move on to verses 8 through 14, we read about how Ishmael laughs at Isaac. And Sarah tells Abraham to cast out Ishmael and Hagar. And God comes and he says the same thing to Abraham, to send them out. And so Abraham sends out Ishmael and Hagar away from Isaac. And as he's doing this, this is Abraham fully committing to the plan of God. When he sends out Ishmael, he's fully committing to the plan of God. Why do I say that? If you think about the trajectory of where Abraham has been and how he's been following, maturing in his following and his faith of the Lord throughout the time that we've read of him from chapter 12, we see that, well, first we can start in this passage that God is pointing out to Abraham that this is the plan, right? First, Sarah says it, that the son of the slave woman will not be heir with my son Isaac. In verse 10, then God says, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so we see that this is the plan, right? God's laying out the plan. He's reminding Abraham of the plan that it's through Isaac that the promise will come. This is my plan, God says. It's through Isaac. And that's the reasoning behind why he would send them out. So in this passage, we get this glimpse that this is the plan of God. But we can rewind and we can think about how Abraham and Sarah weren't really necessarily fully committed at first to the plan of God. They understood it and Abraham believed. And yet after Abraham heard the promises, he asked, God, I have no children. How is this plan going to happen? Is it going to be through my servant, Eleazar, that you're going to make this plan happen? And God comes to him, he says, no, it's not going to be through my servant. He's reminding him that his plan is through his offspring in Genesis 15. And so God is continuing to to mature Abraham, to be patient, to grow his faith. And then 
Abraham and Sarah in the next chapter in Genesis 16, right? They understand that it's going to be through their offspring. But then they step outside the plan of God and they try to bring about a child by themselves through Hagar in chapter 16. They weren't relying on God's power to bring about God's plan. They were trying to do it in their own strength. And so then God comes, he repeats the plan to Abraham after that in chapter 17. And even in that moment, when God tells him that it's going to be through Isaac, explicitly through the child of Sarah, that this plan, this promise will come. Even in that moment, Abraham, he asked God, well, can it be through Ishmael? Can it be through Ishmael? So even then we see that he's not necessarily fully understanding or fully committed to this plan of God coming through Isaac. And then here in our passage, even after Ishmael laughs mockingly at Isaac, if you might have a footnote in your Bible, it says he laughs in mockery. And we, we see that as well in our passage we read this morning from Galatians that Paul talks about this being kind of like a, a persecution, laughing and mockery. There was more to it. It's not just an innocent laugh, right? Even after Ishmael is laughing in mockery at Isaac, Abraham is still hesitant to send him out, is still hesitant to fully commit to Isaac as the plan. But God comes, he, he reassures him both through Sarah and through his own word that this is the plan. It's through Isaac. And so take care of Isaac, protect him, and send out Ishmael. And so Abraham sends him out. And in that moment, this is really, we're meant to see this as this is the moment where Abraham's fully committing to this being the plan of God. It's through Isaac. I'm, I'm fully committing. I'm not hedging my bets. I'm not keeping one foot in and one foot out. No, I'm all in on what God is doing through Isaac. When we read our passage this morning from our scripture reading from Genesis Galatians 4, Paul, Paul understands that this is what's happening with Isaac and with Abraham when he sends out Ishmael. Paul understands that this is Abraham fully committing in faith. This is a, an example of faith when he sends them out. He's saying that Abraham is not mixing his plan with God's plan. He's not deciding how God's plan is going to work out himself. No, this is Abraham fully embracing the plan of God. This is the same understanding that Paul had of this passage as well, that this is Abraham fully committing. And so just like in Genesis, Paul then takes this idea of fully committing to God's plan, and then he applies it to salvation. Just as Abraham was fully committed in this moment. He was not going to keep Ishmael around to see if things didn't work out, didn't go through Ishmael. No, he fully committed. So in this moment, Paul is saying, that's what faith is like. Faith is like us fully committing, just like Abraham did. We can't, we can't say that Jesus is going to save us, but it's also going to be some of the good works I do. Jesus, some of my good works probably get me a little bit of the way, but then Jesus, you know, gets me the rest of the way. No, Paul says, no, that is completely opposite of what faith is. Faith is not holding on to a little bit of what we do and a mostly Jesus. Faith is only Jesus. 
only Jesus can save us, can deliver us from the punishment of our sins. He's the only one who is able to do that. And so Paul, when he is reading this account of Abraham, he sees that Abraham is really that example of fully committing of what faith really means. And Paul is showing us that in the book of Galatians. And so as Abraham fully commits to God's plan, he shows us what faith is, that it's God's way alone. It's the only thing that we hold on to. And so it makes us think about, are there areas in our life that we're not fully committed to God, where we're still holding on to something and not fully embracing the plan of God or the promises of God? Are we maybe in some area trying to bring about the, the goodness or the promises of God by doing it in our own way? Or are we fully like Abraham and Sarah in this passage, fully relying on God's power and God's plan to bring about his promises? We can be like Abraham and fully commit to God's plan, or we can be like Hagar in this last section this morning. And that brings us to verses 15 through 21. Hagar is really set up as the contrast, the opposite of what Abraham is doing. So we see that Abraham fully commits. He is fully committed that God's plan will come through Isaac. But then we remember, when we think about Hagar and Ishmael, we remember back in Genesis 16 that God made a promise to Hagar, very similar to the promise he made to Isaac, that Ishmael would become a, a multitude of peoples, that he would essentially be made a great nation. And so there are similarities, and we're meant to think, hey, that sounds a lot like what God said to Isaac, because Moses, the writer of Genesis, wants us to see a connection and then also a contrast between Abraham and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. And so here, instead of Hagar holding on to the plan of God and fully committing to the plan of God, here she doesn't believe. She, she loses hope. She gives up on her son and the plan that God had promised. So we see that Abraham believes God. And what does he do? He, he takes care of Isaac. Remember, there's some kind of, we don't explicitly here, but there's some kind of persecution going on here. And so he takes care of his son. He takes care of Isaac. Well, Hagar, she is not believing. She doesn't take care of her son. When she goes out, what does she do? She sets him off to the side. And then God comes and has to tell her, no, hold, her, hold him tight. Take his hand. Be close to him. Take care of him. So we're meant to see this contrast between what Abraham is doing in his faith, believing that it's through Isaac, and I'm going to take care of Isaac because God has promised something. He's, he's said his plan will happen this way. And Hagar has heard the plan of God, the promise of God about her son, but she doesn't hold on to her son in the same way. She doesn't seek to take care of him as well as she can. And so God is showing us this contrast. We're supposed to imitate Abraham's faith in fully committing. And in the, on the flip side, we get a contrast of what faith doesn't look like in the example of Hagar. 
But even, even as Hagar doesn't take care of her son, doesn't hold him fast for whatever reason, we still see that God is looking after the child. Because what happens, even though Hagar doesn't hold on to the plan and promise of God and believe that something miraculous will happen, that God will keep his, keep his word, God still keeps his word. He still hears the voice of the boy and tells Hagar to hold him fast, for God will make him into a great nation. So he repeats the promise here. And it shows us that even though we may not be faithful or even really believing in God's plan or promises, God will always do what he says. He will always keep his plan and promises, whether that's for our eternal salvation or whether that's for eternal judgment. God will always keep his plan and promises. And so what are some applications or maybe one application? How do we take this? We think about the plan of God, fully committing to the plan of God in faith. How does that apply to us in our own lives? We know that Abraham and Hagar give us contrasts of knowing the plan of God and then following it. So the first thing is that really we need to know the plan and promises of God. And when I say that, I don't just mean specific ones, although that's important as well, but I'm mainly thinking about what is the big picture storyline of the Bible, the plan of God from the beginning of creation until the end where everything is headed. What is the overarching plan of God? Sometimes it's called salvation history or God's plan for salvation throughout the whole Bible. Where is, what is he doing? Why is he doing it in the beginning? Where is he headed? As we know that, as we remember that, it helps us to, to frame, to line our lives up with his plan. If we don't know his plan and where the general trajectory of everything is going, it's hard to, it's hard to line our lives up with that plan. So we have to know it. Sometimes that means that we need someone like Sarah in our lives who reminds us of it or keeps us on track with it. And it reminds us that this is really part of the reason we see such an emphasis on discipleship in the Bible, because we need someone else to teach us those things, to remind us of those things, to help us understand what they have learned about what God is doing, what his plan is. And then we need to pass those on to other people so that they can understand it as well and grow in their faith. And then once we are thinking about his plan and understanding it, we think, well, what does God say about the specifics of my life? How do these specific areas fit into his plan? So a couple examples. What has God said about family? What's his plan for families? How do families fit into his plan? That gives us direction. As we answer those questions, it gives us direction really for a major part of our everyday life because we spend a lot of our time with families. We can think, what does God say about work? What is his plan for work? How does being an employee, a manager, self-employed, how does that fit into his plan? And then that gives us further direction, further guidance on a framework on how we can best live, line our lives up with his plan. We could say the same thing about retirement. How does that 
fit into God's plan? What is God's plan for us in the later stages of our life? What does he say about it? We say the same things about government. What is his plan for government? How does it fit into his plan, right? So that gives us direction not only in how to vote or how to act in the public square, but it also helps us remember what's happening on the national level isn't necessarily the main influence on the direction of our lives, right? It's a part of God's plan, but it's not ultimate in his plan. We could say the same thing about church. What is God's plan for the church? How does it fit into his plan? What is his plan for the church? When we can answer questions like that, it helps us shape our, it helps us shape our schedules, our priorities. But more than that, it helps us shape our, our relational decisions. Like what are we going to spend time on? What is meaningful to God and important to God? And how can I make my life line up with God's priorities and what he says? So those are several examples. I didn't go into a lot of detail with them. But I, I gave that many examples for probably a couple reasons. One would be that it shows that God's plan really does affect every area of our life. It factors into everything we do. It, we can find something in the Bible that's going to affect everything we do. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, Peter says. And then two, it gives us a framework, a template to think through everything in our life what God says about those things, how we can honor God, glorify God in every area of our life. And all that takes work. I don't know if you're listening to that and thinking, man, that's a lot of work to think about all those things, how each of these things line up with God. It, it takes work. It takes time to think through. It takes studying the Bible, meditating on it, memorizing it even. It takes maybe a good study Bible or a concordance or a good podcast or books on those areas to help us learn and understand those things. But if our passage teaches us anything this morning, it's that the plan of God is something we need to know and we need to fully commit to and line our lives up with. That's what faith is. The ideal of faith is fully committing to God's plan. And so as we want to grow in faithfulness, that means we want to line up our lives more with God's plan. God will keep his plans and promises. Nothing stops the plans and promises of God from happening. Nothing, not people, not the society, not natural disasters. Nothing will derail his plan. God works all things together so that his plans and promises come to pass. And sometimes that means directly intervening. Sometimes it means intervening through people. We saw both of that in our passage this morning. But it's not something that we can mess up. And that's comforting. It's not something that we can mess up. But it is something that we should line our lives up with something that we should rely on and base our lives on. If this is God's plan, this is where everything is heading, then we can line up with that. We can rest in that, and we can know that this will come to pass, and God will keep his promises. We need God to implant these truths in our lives and in our thoughts. Let's pray together this morning as we close. Father God, 
we are thankful for your word. That you show us not only specifics of how you interact with individuals in the Bible, but you show us your grand plan of why you created, how you created, and where the trajectory was headed, how it was all headed towards Jesus, and how Jesus is the focal point of your word. And that one day all things will be summed up in him, that all things will be redeemed, that you will make all things new and bring complete justice, righteousness, peace in your presence. God, we look forward to that. We pray that we would have that hope in what your plan is going to bring about, that we would hope for it, we would long for it, we would line our lives up with it. May we think more like that. What do you want me to do? How can I line my life up with your plan? And I pray that you would convict us where we need conviction, where we are not fully committing or lining up with you, that you would comfort us and remind us of your grace and how you give greater grace than our sin so that we are able to follow you more closely. And God, we thank you for all these things this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to use this time as a time of response now. And it all comes when we sing one final song. Let's use this as a time to, to pray, whether you've been convicted of something or you want to praise God for something to sing his praises, uh, let's respond to God this morning with what he has said to us in his word.